I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 306. Y'all, I don't think we did Patreoners last episode, so let's just start out with these two peeps right now. So thank you so much, Kelly R. from Kansas. And Erica N. from Texas. I've lost it. <laughs> just hang it up. Your Texas is gone. But y'all aren't gone, and we're super glad y'all are here. And y'all, they're getting all kinds of shit on Patreon. I'm talking an extra episode a week, plus the backlog, so much shit. So if you want in on that, you got to head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, at work, we had to go around. Well, I mean, we didn't have to, but you know, we do those little fun things. And it's like, what is something you're really grateful for right now? And you want to know what mine was? Oh my God. Fall TV's back. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I know that sounds bad, but like the, I guess the strike's over. Things are coming back. Yeah. You know, and okay, so True Detective, the new season that came out, RuPaul's Drag Race is out. And I'm like, I feel like that just sums up my personality that those two right there, those make me happy. Well, we're still watching FBI. I think I told y'all that we were watching that. Started the new season and don't love somebody that they replaced. The one that was the first season was so confident. And then the one that they replaced her with, I just feel like she just always looks bewildered. And I'm like, you're supposed to be in such like a confident leadership role and you always look like a deer caught in headlights. Mm. Well, speaking of people that you don't like, me and one of my coworkers were talking about SVU and she was like, okay, so I haven't been caught up on like the last season. So is it like something worth watching? And I was like, look, I'm just holding out for the end of it. Like I'm just yeah. watching it because I like it. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like I gave up on Grey's Anatomy. Yes. But like this one, I'm just like, oh, I, you know, like I got to stick it out. Yeah, but they have, SVU has not jumped the shark like Grey's Anatomy did. Yeah. But she was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. I don't know how you feel about her, but Rollins. And I was like, oh, girl, uh-uh. uh-uh. Don't, don't like, like her. her. <laughs> <laughs> and she was the same way. And I was like, yes. I was so disappointed when they like made her get with Carisi. Yes. I just love him so much. Like, well, obviously his character, he's, I mean, he's probably great too, but <laughs> his character is just so lovable and like, he's so good and pure and she's just so damaged that it, fucks up her relationships, and I just don't want that for his pure heart, you know? <laughs> but I didn't finish last season either because you told me that they were trying to do these cross things with Stabler, and I was like, eh, his character is so toxic. Yeah. I was so excited that, like, he was going to come back, but I don't like the show, really. And, yeah, after, like, just thinking about it, you know, growing some, I'm like, yeah, no, they shouldn't be together. You know what I mean? Well, I tell you what made me not really like his character was when I binge watched it. And like you really see how in every single episode he crosses the line with somebody. And it's like every single time you cross a line, like, come on, dude, you're the problem. Yes. Like every single time your temper gets in your way, it's a problem. But when you just watch it in spurts, he's not that annoying. You know, yeah. like it's, you don't you don't see it. But when you really truly like binge watch it, you're like, wow, his character is kind of toxic. Yeah. Also, he was married, you know, so there's that. But like, I didn't care. I, I know, wanted you them together. To get to, Me yeah. too. And it's like, he's again, now as an adult watching it, I'm like, ooh, no, I want him to stay with his wife. <laughs> yeah. But as 
a teenager Carrie, I was like, oh, that'd be so hot if they got together. I <laughs> know. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a kind of a controversial question. Oh, fuck. I want to know how you feel about it. I think I know how you're going to feel about it, but I still want to know. And I want to know what y'all think. And everybody's opinion's valid, so don't come at somebody for their opinion if they post it, okay? Be sweet. I came across a situation that someone had recently been diagnosed with potentially terminal illness. Is this from TikTok? No, this is like a real life okay. scenario. But I'm not going to give you a lot of background because it's private stuff that I you don't need to know who or all the things. So they're significantly older, don't have any kids. Y'all, I've had a couple of people that I've come across that have had some issues older in life. And I'm like, should I have had kids? Like, what am I going to do when I'm their age and I'm in their situation? I'm like, should I have had kids? But then I'm like, that's selfish. Forget about it. Okay. Don't have any kids. Neighbors and like nieces and nephews help take care of them. And they're in bad shape as far as like physical ability to take care of themselves and probably going to have to like go on hospice pretty soon. And they're adamant that they want to pass away in their house. And I talked about how my experience with the Asbury Hospice House with my dad and how great it was. And they were like, absolutely not. I want to die in my house. And they were like, I think that's the best thing that you can do for someone is give them their last wish. Completely understand that. If that is what you want to die in your house, it's your last wish. I get that. But if you have no one that can take care of you, is it fair to expect that of people when you don't have anything in place to make that happen, like long-term health insurance or whatever that may provide in-home care or something like that. So someone else would have to either stop working or something like that to be able to take care of you. So I was with you, like, I was like nodding the whole time, like, yeah, no, your last wish is your last wish, you know, just because I kind of had that with my dad, yeah, you know, but he had insurance that allowed people to come and help him at some point, you know? Yes, but not full-time. Not full-time. Right, your insurance. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand because I think a lot of people think that their insurance will pay for people to come take care of them in their home, and it's not going to happen. No. Like, they're not going to pay private prices. Right, for, for a sitter to somebody to come. And it's asinine. Did I not use it right again? No, I think technically it works, but I just would say it's astronomical. Oh, I'm sorry that well, I don't I agree with you. Like, I just don't think acid fits there. <laughs> but Megan used it that same way at work the other day. And so I was like, okay, I guess it works. Oh, my God. I would say astronomical. <laughs> well, asinine just means like, to me, like an irrelevant amount. It's not irrelevant. You're saying because it's a lot. Oh it's my not God. irrelevant. It's fucking relevant because it's a lot. Oh, God. Okay, anyway, okay. continue. An asinine amount. Yeah. But if you are having to depend on someone else, then No. Yeah, I just don't think it's a fair ask. No. Like, if you're not paying someone to do that for you or... And not even just, like, your kids. That's Yeah, unfair. you can't just assume that your kids are going to do it. And that's why I was like, that's selfish. Whenever yeah. I said, should I be having kids to take care of me when I'm old? Because that's a fucking selfish reason to have kids. <laughs> because that's not a guarantee either. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, so say that your mom had to have round-the-clock care. You can't. Especially people who work. Yeah, Yeah. they can't take care of you. And it's like, so how are you going to get to the toilet when they're gone? What happens Mm -hmm. if there's a fire in the house? What happens if you fall? What happens if, you know, all these things? And it's like, is that, I just don't think it's a fair ask 
not just to like make people put their lives on hold because that's not really it, but it's, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a big ask. It is a big ask. Now, with this, this might be the controversial, how do you say it? Controversial. Controversial cherry on top. But I think like if you want to die in your house and you feel like you have no quality of life and Mm -hmm. all of that, then you should be able to make that decision. Completely agree. You know, and that be your last wish, your last thing and be done with it. Then I'm like, yeah, you do you. Yeah. But if someone doesn't believe in that and they, you know, especially somebody who might be religious and, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't, their religion doesn't allow that, then they have to live their life out, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's just... It like if you can't take care of yourself and you're having to depend on other people, you either pay them because that's their job. And if you can't do that, then you have to do what you can do to survive. Mm -hmm. So that means having to go into a home, do whatever you need to do. Right. I don't know. And people may be like, y'all are assholes. But we've also been caregivers for people. And it's very difficult being a caregiver for someone, especially full time. Mm-hmm. It's not only physically taxing, it's mentally, emotionally, financially, all the things. Yeah. And I don't know. Of course, you want to give someone their last wish. But if there's no one that can help you, and like, I would not be able to afford private sitters. No. Like, there's no way in hell in my life would I ever be able to afford a private sitter. No. But I've even, Colby and I have had that conversation like, Because my grandmother had Alzheimer's, her sister had Alzheimer's, and I told him, if I get Alzheimer's, put me in a nursing home. Do not try to do this by yourself. I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. Yeah. Or if anything, if there's any point in which I need care that requires it around the clock, I don't want that for him. Again, I don't want that for me. Yeah. I agree. Is that what you thought I would say? Yeah, I figured you'd agree. Okay. Y'all let us know. I mean, again, I feel like a side of it, we're kind of being assholes. But on the other side, I'm like, I stand by my opinion, too. You know, I stand by it. And I mean, and we can be wrong. That's okay because that's our opinion. Yeah. And opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Mm -hmm. If I can think of a way to put that in Spotify for the poll, I will. If not, just write it down, (laughs) y'all. Speaking of Spotify, though, someone left a comment and I shared it with Carrie and Tiffany because it was like, I love y'all, but damn, y'all are sick a lot. Get better, Colby. <laughs> <laughs> like, big facts. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. I know. Again, you remember how like just two seconds ago we were talking about binge watching episodes? And I said this in the earlier episodes, but I wonder what is annoying about us like that to people when they binge watch it. Because I can tell y'all right now, for me, it's the amount of times I say like. (laughs) Like, I'm on my own nerves with the amount of times I say like. But there was a point, especially before I started my immune infusions, where, I mean, I was sick for like six months straight. It was really bad. It was a a rough year that year. And that wasn't even fucking COVID year. (laughs) COVID year, I was healthy as a horse. Yeah, we can't help it that our immune systems fight each other. You fight yourself. I just don't have one. Yeah. I don't have a stand of fighting <laughs> chance. I have to get other people's fight. Oh, God. That does make sense. So, like, of course, my body would fight itself and being like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of excited about my story because 
I think it's going to get you a little riled up. So you're either going to like that or not, because I'm going to be interrupting you. No, I know exactly how you're going to feel about this one. I know how you're going to feel about this one. We all know that you sometimes think I'm going to do that, and then you get mad when I actually don't feel the same way that you think I'm going to do it. You're going to this time. But before we get into my story, we got to talk about microdose. I don't know why you said it like that, but I'm going with it. Y'all have heard us talk about it. I know you've heard everybody else talk about it. Microdosing. Everybody's doing it. Especially Donna. Especially me. Y'all, I've had a hard day at work and you know what I wanted to do instead of record? I wanted to take one and because I can only do like one gummy. Two sometimes. But then I just want to like vibe out. Yeah. Not record, not do anything. But I was like, no, let me just go and record and release all my frustrations on Carrie. I could handle it. But seriously, microdosing is a great way to relieve stress, and it's not just about getting high. Well, microdosing is that just right feeling when your body and your mind are at peace, like after a workout or you get out of a nice shower, you're relaxed, you're focused, sometimes a little energized, but like picture it being in the zone. Well, microdose can help you get in that zone faster. And microdose gummies really just deliver that perfect entry-level dose of THC that helps you feel just the right amount of good. And if you know anything about me and Carrie, you know we're very entry-level, and this works for us. And it's available everywhere in the States. And let me just tell y'all, microdose gummies taste freaking great. It is like a snack. I want to eat the whole bottle, but I know I can't because I know that would be real bad. (laughs) So I'm just going to eat my one. But they taste real good. They do. And, you know, sometimes after a meal, you do just want to eat one and just, again, have your have your fruit flavored and then just vibe out. Or if you want it to help you sleep, works for that, too. They have different strands to achieve what you want to feel. Right. Like, if you're like me and your anxiety has been at an all-time high the past week, use the microdose gummies for that. You want to sleep really good? Do Indica. They got it. And look, you may not be into weed, and that's okay, but microdose gummies give you that very small, tiny dose of THC that really can help you with all the things we mentioned, especially for me, anxiety. You could do half of a gummy. You could do a whole gummy. You could do two gummies. You know, you find what works best for you. You can even use the microdose gummies for pain, like arthritis pain and things like that. If you're like me and you're old enough that the weather affects your body. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just an old wives tale. Really? Uh It changes the interstitial pressure in your joints. Oh, well, I do know like the pressure, like when we get headaches and stuff. But I did not know like really. Yeah, it really does. Oh, okay. Well, but it really does do that to me. I just. At least that's what a coworker told me. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Look, if you don't want to trust Carrie on that, trust us when we say microdose gummies are legit. So if you want to try out microdose gummies for yourself, now is the time. You can get 30% off your first order plus free shipping by going to microdose.com and enter promo code CREEP. And like I said, this is available nationwide. And that's microdose.com. Then the promo code is CREEP for 30% off and free shipping. Join us on this microdosing journey to figure out what works best for you. 
Don't forget, head on over to microdose.com, promo code CREEP for 30% off and free shipping. So the other day, Creep Mom messaged me and was like, episode idea, and this is what she sent me. So we are talking about Stephen Morin. Are you like me? And every time you hear the word Stephen, you go, Stephen from uh, Laguna Beach. Yes. Yes. All right. So there's not a lot that we know about Stephen's childhood, but allegedly it was shit. And he started using drugs from a very young age. And very quickly, he joined a life of crime. Now, he was born in 1951. So that just kind of gives you a timeline of events. That sounds like 1951. He joined a life of crime. Maybe I'm just getting ready for your crime to remember on Patreon. So in the mid-60s is when he really started his crime spree, where he was stealing cars and just getting into trouble all around. But that's also when he started using a bunch of different aliases. So throughout Stephen's time, he was actually really good at taking on different personas. But what he would do is he would go to different libraries and look in the obituary sections for people who were about his age, kind of maybe looked like him a little bit, and to steal those identities. Now, right out the gate, spoiler alert, Stephen is a serial killer. The eye roll that I just got, the eye roll of all eye rolls, because we know this bitch hates serial killers. I do. Just stay with me. Okay, so this is one of those cases where it's like, he killed 30, 46, 743. Not really, but I've heard 30 and 46 and all these different numbers in between. But obviously, nobody really knows the number. And I'm just going to touch on a couple because after I touch on these people is where the story is going to turn. And that's the part of the story that everybody focuses on. But I feel like these victims, when you listen to a lot of these podcasts, get brushed aside for this latter part of the story. And we're not about that life. So we're going to talk about some of the victims. That's why I don't like serial killers, because you can't get to really know all the victims. Well, let me just say that there was a podcast that I listened to about this, and it's called Graphic Detail, and it was episode 23. So that podcast went into so much detail, like I didn't even get a chance to finish it. So if you really want a lot of detail about these murders, definitely hit that podcast up. Okay, now we know that this story really starts on September 26th of 1976. So there's a 14-year-old girl that... I'm sure her name is somewhere, but she's 14. We're not doing that. But Stephen got her to come to his apartment. So I don't really know if he knew her before or how he got her to the apartment, but he got her there. And what she endured was absolutely brutal. So he kept her there for a few hours where he literally strapped her up and hung her from the ceiling hooks and brutally raped and tortured her for hours. Oh my gosh. And like there were belts, like there was a belt around her neck that where she moved in the straps that were hanging, she like she was hanging by, it would tighten around her neck. So like she couldn't move yeah. or it would tighten around her neck. Oh, 
And it was to the point where it was so bad that she wanted to die because she's like, I can't survive this. But he eventually released her. He didn't kill her. But that is where it all started. So this is the time that he really started going on the run and using the different identities in order to escape from prosecution from the rape of this young girl. Now, we're going to jump forward a little bit because there's a lot that we know, but we also really don't know a lot about Stephen. So jump to September of 1979. There was a 22-year-old by the name of Sheila Griffith. Now, Sheila had last been seen leaving a casino in Las Vegas with a man. Now, her body was later found, like two months later, in the desert, covered up by a sleeping bag. Now, she is linked to him on Wikipedia, but there was an article called Murderer Known Only as Al Proud North Las Vegas Bars in 1979. So this article actually said that there was a murder of a lady named Linda Jenkins and Sheila Gay Griffith, who what is like the full name given in the Wikipedia article, put both of their murders on a guy named Edward Allen C. So I'm not really sure why she's in this article, but in another article it says him. But I just wanted to put that out there that she's linked to Stephen, Morin, and this other guy. Because Edward Allen C. confessed to killing Sheila and John C. Bame, but the murder of Linda Jenkins is technically still unsolved. So take that how you will. But then in January of 1980, Susan, and I hope I was saying her name correctly, Belot, it's B-E-L-O-T-E, she was just 18 years old when she was living in Las Vegas and was reported missing because she had gone out shopping and she didn't come home. Now, her body was later found in May. So again, months later, her body was found. And when they found her body, there was like a big stone that had been placed on top of it. So because her body had been out for so long, police weren't able to determine the cause of death because of the level of decomposition. But they did know that there was something going on with the neck tissues. And so they were like, she probably died from strangulation. Now, there's a lot of in-between things happening here where he would get caught with drugs or something in one state and he would use a fake ID. And so he would get probation or, you know, 20 days in jail or something. So there were a lot of different times that he was actually arrested and pretty much let go with a slap on the wrist because they didn't know who he was. Now, in 2024, he wouldn't get away with that level of deceit because when he was getting arrested, he would have been fingerprinted and that would have been the end of it right there. But it's 1980, and they're still in comparing fingerprints with magnifying glasses, you know? So in June of 1980, Cheryl Ann Daniel was kidnapped from a grocery store in Las Vegas. Now, her body was found in December, so a full six months later, in St. George with a gunshot to the head. They were on to Stephen with these murders. After this happened, now keep in mind, Stephen using all the different identities, right? 
So Stephen was actually dating Cheryl when she went missing, right? But under an assumed name. So Cheryl had a friend named Sarah Pizan, P-I-S-A-N. Probably butchered that too. So now Sarah worked at a gas station. So Stephen starts approaching Sarah at the gas station, but she does not know it's the same person that was dating her friend Cheryl when she went missing. Holy fuck. Right. I mean, like, he is truly a master of disguise where he, like, puts a mustache on and nobody can recognize <laughs> it. Like, I'm not joking. Like, it's yeah. like, he, he's like, my name is Bob, and all of a sudden... Nobody knows who he is. Yeah. I mean, like, was he truly, like, a master of disguise? Or was it just like, oh, he had a box dye and a fake mustache? I mean, I think a combination of both. Okay. Because people truly did not know he was the same person. So Sarah was working at this gas station. And because she was a manager, she got a beeper, like a pager. Now, on that podcast I was telling you about earlier, Graphic Details, they kind of explained it like the pager was one of those that would be like beep and then you could leave like a voice message for like 20 seconds or so. And so when you got the page, it would just play like it didn't save it or anything like that. I never even knew that. Me neither. Me neither. So while this whole part of the story takes place, Sarah is turning down these advances from this guy that keeps coming up to the gas station, asking her out. It's giving her the creeps, and she keeps turning him down. And while all this starts happening, she starts getting these inappropriate messages on her pager. Like, highly inappropriate. Like, they're stalking her messages. Like, she will get out of the shower, and they'll say, a message will come through, and it's like, drop your towel for me. (gasps) No. And so she's freaking out. But she doesn't want to make a stink about it because she's got this new position at work of this manager. And so she doesn't really want to take it to her higher up. And she's like, it's got to be a joke. Whoever had the pager before me, like, this has got to be a joke. But then the messages start getting increasingly graphic to where what sounds like people getting beaten up in the messages and screaming. And she's hoping that this is just maybe a movie playing in the background. But it sounds so real. So she's, again, hoping that these messages are not actually somebody getting brutally raped. Because there are messages that she's like, that actually sounds like someone getting raped. Like, these are incredibly graphic messages. Oh, my God. So there's times where she just turns off her pager, but she's like, I'm the manager. Like, I have to have it. But her number was displayed in the office. And stuff, so it's somebody could have seen it. But long story short, because there's a lot of details that I mean, I'm telling you, y'all only really need to go listen to that podcast because there's a lot of details of how it all went down with a pager and he was asking her out and but she got a boyfriend and he was like, I'm gonna kill him, you need to leave him, like all this stuff. And she's like, How the hell does he even know? And then when she broke up with a boyfriend, she decided that she was actually, okay, let me just give this weirdo a try. But then she was like, oh, something's just not right. So she stood him up and he lost it and was like, he was coming and trying to attack her at the gas station. And it was a whole thing. Holy fuck. Well, the police finally got involved with Sarah. And I've heard a couple of different ways of how it happened that like she reported it or 
and I've also heard that the police like figured out who he was. And so they came to her and they had actually found Steven's wallet next to a body. Like he had dropped it and it had her apartment address inside the wallet. And that that's why they like swooped in and came and saved her. Either way, the police showed her a lineup of pictures and they were like, okay, like, can you pick him out? And she was like, it's this guy. And they were like, these are all the same guy. Holy shit. So that's why I say like a combination of a master of disguises because that was his picture with all of those different identities and she didn't even know. I need to see this lineup because not to put Tiff on blast, but uh, Tiffany would say, I have no idea who those people are. No, he was a master of disguise. (laughs) (laughs) The bottom two kind of have the same nose. Yeah. But those are the only two that... And, like, now that I know I'm looking at the same person. Right. Yeah. But the bottom two, the nose, just how it's, like, shadowed and stuff. Yeah. It highlights that it's shadowed, but it highlights. But you know what I mean? It just highlights the nose structure and stuff. Yeah. But if, yeah, if you showed me all of them. Yeah. <laughs> no okay. So I showed her the picture was on True Crime Edition, and the article was The Forgotten Serial Killer. So at another point... He kills Sheila Whalen. So Sheila was only 23, and she was found stabbed in a hotel room in Colorado. So Stephen had, he was actually married at one point, but under an illegal, like under one of his aliases. And when he was married, he would give his wife articles of like jewelry from his victims. It's just so bizarre. But anyway, one of his girlfriends found some of Sheila's clothes in his van. And that was some of the evidence, too, that helped police with being like, okay, this is Stephen. So Stephen actually had a very specific type, like petite, blonde, athletic. And he abducted Pamela Jackson, who was also 23. And she was kept for 11 days. And he dyed her hair from brown to blonde. Well, damn, I was going to say Mark safe from him because not like I'm short, but not petite and definitely don't have blonde hair, but and definitely not athletic. I was about to say, ma'am. Sorry. (laughs) I forgot about that. You're burying the lead on this one. (laughs) A gymnast, you're not. (laughs) I got the boobs of a gymnast, but not the body. (laughs) You got the legs of a gymnast. Yeah, short. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let me tell y'all today when I came out of my extra large piece of skin so we're talking at work about getting these little if you're a therapist the blood flow restriction things so they have to go around like arms or legs and y'all know i'm very outspoken about is that gonna fit me you know so i was talking with my boss about like what sizes to get and i'm like okay well will a large fit somebody my size and he was like it should da, 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 da. We we're talking about it like an hour and a half later, he comes to me with a tape measure. <laughs> oh, my God. And measures my arm. And I said, you better not tell a soul what that's. <laughs> and then he goes to measure my leg. And I was like, I will kill you if you tell anybody. I said, you better hide that reading. <laughs> All right, back to this piece of shit. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. But know that there are, of course, many more victims. Well, in 
December 11th of 1981, Stephen killed Carrie Scott, who was only 21, and he actually wounded Drew Valdez, who was 25. Now, the police start closing in because they had found him at this motel. So while they're trying to like get the SWAT and everybody in place, he goes to fill up his ice or get a Coke or some shit. And he sees a car and he's like, not good, not good. That's a cop car. So he goes back to his motel room and shimmies out this little bitty bathroom window. Because not only is he a master disguise, he is a fucking escape artist, apparently. And he shimmies out of this bathroom window and hightails it out of there. So he's not in the motel room when the police finally get there. Oh my gosh. Also, reasons why I can never be a serial killer, because I could not get away with anything like that. I can't shimmy anything. I can, no. only thing I can shimmy out of is my underwear. <laughs> and sometimes I need help. <laughs> So this is the part of the story that most people know. So while he's on the run, he goes to a Kmart. And at this Kmart, there is a lady named Margie Palm who just happened to decide, you know what? I want to do some shopping. I'm going to stop at this Kmart. Well, you had to start talking about a victim before I could make my joke. Oh, sorry. Did he ship his pants? Jesus. Do you remember Your that? mama loved that fucking commercial. <laughs> So this is all happening in San Antonio, by the way. So Stephen finds Margie. She very much fits his victim profile. And he pulls a gun on her and forces her into her Suburban to drive and get them out of the Kmart parking lot. Now, keep in mind that Stephen is on amphetamines. Like, he's a drug addict. So he's doing all of this drug-fueled you know, so think about trying to like reason with him and all of that when you've been kidnapped. So when Stephen kidnaps Margie, this part of the story, there are two really good articles in one's in Vanity Fair and one's in People that really tell this part of the story very well. So again, I highly recommend reading this. Okay, so Stephen has Margie kidnapped. He's amped up on drugs and She's like starting to kind of talk to him because she's super nervous and all. And he's like, what is one more damn dead bitch at this point? Like literally tells her that. So now Margie, I think was, I don't want to say well off, but she was comfortable and she was buying presents and there were a lot of presents. And Stephen started noticing the presents and it really pissed him off because he was basically like, he had nothing. He never got gifts as a kid. And so he started telling her that she was like a sheltered princess and just got so pissed. Like just, it was like all this childhood anger was now at Margie. And she is in this position where she's kidnapped and what the fuck does she do? And so literally all she can say is like, I'm so sorry. Now, Margie had recently become very religious. So as they are in the car, she starts to pray. She like closes her eyes and she starts to pray. And Stephen literally says, oh my God, I'm in the car with a religious freak. Oh like, my God. Quote. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so she's literally praying and she is saying how, you know, God's so wonderful. He's going to take everything. And 
she literally puts her hand on his head and prays for him, like laying hands, praying for him, like while he's kidnapping her. Wow. You know what this reminds me of? (laughs) Sister Act, when she's acting like she's a nun and they have to kill her and she's like, they don't know what they mean, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, I can't kill a nun. And they're like, she's not a nun. And she's like praying. Oh, that's what this reminds me of. Oh my God, I just bookend it like you normally do. So she literally puts her hand on him and says, you evil spirits, go now. And then tells the evil spirits that, like, they can't stay in the car either. They got to leave the car, too. So, like, get out of him and leave my car. And he's amped up on drugs, so he's going to believe her? Uh Uh-huh. Gosh. Pretty much. So he's like, look. I don't want to hurt you, but I don't even know if I'm going to let you go. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing in the situation. He's just trying to get the hell out of Dodge. So, while they're driving, in Margie's cassette player is a tape about the power of love by none other than televangelist Kenneth Copeland. Oh, Lord. You know, the, I blow COVID away. Yes. That televangelist with the eyes. That got so mad at that reporter that asked him about his private jet that he said that he got such a great deal on that televangelist. So at this point, Stephen's like getting pissed because all of her tapes are religious. But then he finds one that he loves. Do you know this song? It's Christopher Cross, Ride Like the Wind. No. Me neither. Don't know it. But apparently it was literally his favorite. And he was like, bitch. When he found this one, he was like, my favorite. Played it, singing, dancing, living his best life. So eventually, they go to stop at a gas station. And he's like, go in. I need beer, cigarettes, and a newspaper. So she goes in. And it's like, okay, now what do I do? Because I could stay in this gas station. There's the gas station attendant here who was very young. And she's like, Do I tell her and she calls police and he comes and kills us both? Do I stay in here? He comes in and kills us both. Or do I just do what he said and move on and this girl's life is potentially spared? And that's what she does. I mean, isn't there a third or whatever possibility? I can't count. Like if she told them and was like, wait till I get back in the car. And then call police. Yeah. Yeah, but... I can also see why if the girl was very young, you don't know how she's going to, which, well, doesn't matter her age. You don't know how anybody's going to react. But, you know, we also don't know how heavily he was watching her from the vehicle. And so, I mean, she did what she thought was best in the moment. Oh, for sure. Like, there's no right or wrong. I'm just like, those aren't the only options, I feel like. So while she's there and she picks up the newspaper, that's where she finds out who he really is. Because they, because this happened like the next day after he had killed Carrie Scott. So it had time to make newspapers that they were on this manhunt. And so he wanted to see if he had made the papers. Is that why he wanted it? I don't actually know. So after that, he makes her go to a phone booth where he's standing there watching her and she has to call her husband to be like, hey, I'm home. Everything's fine catch in a little while god that's so hard but she told him she was like hey feed the kids give them baths put them to sleep do all the things i'll be home later now according to the vanity fair article 
her husband kind of thought something was up because she had never in their entire marriage asked him to do anything with the kids. Wow. So homeboy did not know how to feed the kids, give them baths, and put them to bed. Yeah, he was like, the audacity that she just asked me to do that. Like, literally, like, excuse me? And in the Vanity Fair article, her husband's name was Bart. It says, Bart chalked it up to pre-Christmas jitters. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Bart's the villain of this story. Like, Bart, get your (laughs) shit together, man. So then Bart watched the news at 10 p.m. and saw that like the whole news was about Stephen in San Antonio and all the people that had been killed and kidnapped and all the things. And then he was like, wait a tick. That was weird. So he called the police. You know how people like want to be like, oh, I saw that too. Or, oh, I knew that before you knew that. Or like, I knew something seemed off. It's like he wanted to do that. But it didn't do what you thought it was going to do, Bart. Like, it just made you look really bad. Yeah, like, God, parents in the 80s that did, like, nothing for their kids. I just don't understand it. So, now, at this point, they've been in the car for hours. And she's doing her praying. And at first, he's like, she's just doing this to whatever. But then she was like, no, look. And she had a book of, like, all these scriptures written down. And... At this point, now, he's apologizing to her for cussing in front of her. Oh, my gosh. And he was talking about how much he hated himself for all the things he had done. And he was so guilty and all these things. And she's, you know, telling him, it's okay. Look, you know, if your son committed these crimes, wouldn't you forgive him? And blah, 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 blah. She mind fucked him. Like, literally, because at one point he goes, lady, you've been preaching to me all day long, and now I understand what you're saying. Damn. So Margie, at this point, was so calm that she literally fell asleep. God bless. (laughs) So she wakes up because he literally pulls the car over, throws his hands up and says, I'm sorry, Lord, for everything I've done. (laughs) Please forgive me. I want to go to heaven. (laughs) she cast those demons out she did she fucking did so then he takes his revolver pours out the bullets and is like i'm never gonna kill again (laughs) even though i mean you did like strangle people and stuff but whatever yeah and even though he had 11 bullets in his pocket (laughs) y'all we're we're like this is fucking terrible but i'm just like it's what yeah so also, y'all couldn't see, but Carrie did throw her hands up in the air, so <laughs> it just caught me off guard. Okay, so this is the part that I'm just so annoyed by, and I know this is me projecting my own religious trauma onto this, so let me just preface this with that. But she starts telling him all about Kenneth Copeland and how great he is, and he's based in Fort Worth and all these things, and Stephen says, I know what I'm going to do. Oh, fuck. He says he's going to do this amazing thing. He is going to go take his gun to Kenneth Copeland and give it to him to say, I'm done. I'm sorry. Forgive me for all of my killings. Okay, Bart. (laughs) It's not going to do what you think it's going to (laughs) do. I have a gun and I've killed people, but like, I'm not going to kill you. So Stephen takes her to an ATM. She takes $300 out. Then they go to 
She's still along for the ride? Yes. So then they go to a bus station because Stephen is like, I am going to get on this bus and I am going to go to Fort Worth and I'm going to go give him this gun. And she's like, you go do that, Stephen. <laughs> you, you go do that. Here's $300. And so she knew that from that bus, he had a, a stop in Austin. And then from there, it would go into Fort Worth. And he's like, don't you want to come with me? Like, they're <laughs> fucking best friends at this point. Yeah. And she's like, I can't. I got kids. And she's like, but God is with you. Oh, gosh. Then he's like, can I hug you? Oh, my God. They hug. He kisses her on the cheek. She gives him her notebook of scriptures. And off he goes into the wild blue fucking yonder. She has exercised those demons. Yeah. Like, literally, the bus pulls away and he's waving like Forrest Gump. <laughs> the bu- like, I'm not shitting you. Waving. Like, bye. <laughs> so Margie drives home, which she's, of course, an emotional wreck. I mean, like, she literally was just kidnapped. I mean, let's. Oh, my God. For real, like, though. On the real, like, we're making jokes because fuck Kenneth Copeland, but on the real, she was kidnapped by a fucking serial killer. Like, it is yes. very serious, and she is very traumatized by it. And she, you know, credits God with getting her through. Well, he literally did, though. So she gets home, and when she gets there, the police are there because, you know, Bart called because he had to put the kids to bed. And the 911 call, excuse me, do you know how to put kids to bed? How does one bathe a child? <laughs> Because you know he says, how does one? Like, he's that, <laughs> that, that kind of money. He didn't say, how do you? He says, how does one yeah. bathe? What is the proper temperature for a tepid bath? <laughs> I don't even know what tepid means. Yeah, I think it means what you think it's okay. going to mean. Okay. <laughs> like, kind of warm. Okay. Like, yeah. I was like, tadpole? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So when Margie gets there, like I said, police are there. And she's like had this experience with God where she's like so calm, not calm, but she's like at peace, but also terrified. But she literally has the bullets in her purse that he had given her. So she's like, no, look, I was really with him, but can you give me a vodka, please? Because she literally is like, (laughs) I need a drink, by the by. So she sits there. She literally actually gets a martini. She sits there and she tells police basically what happened. But at first, she does not tell police where he's going. What the fuck? She doesn't tell the police about him getting on the bus. But then eventually, she does. She's like, you know what? I think it was actually a con. She's starting to feel like, he kind of duped me a little bit. Like, (laughs) maybe he wasn't really, maybe he really didn't find God. Maybe he just used this as a way to get away. But like, why would he? So, she tells police. And, because she's also scared. Because, I mean... He could come back to kill her, too. I mean, let's yeah, be real. For sure. like, he could be like, ha-ha, I'm on the bus, but now I'm actually going to come kill you. Yeah. And your family. It's just how you're telling the story. Yeah. So the police are like, surely he's not actually doing this, right? But they send someone to the, like, an undercover officer to the Austin bus stop for his bus layover. I don't know if that's what you called on a bus, but that's what he had. So when they get there, they literally see him waiting for his next bus, reading the book of scriptures. (laughs) And they arrest him. Like, he goes without incident. No escaping this time. Stephen is finally arrested because of her. Holy fuck. So that's like what this whole thing is, is it's literally like a Texas woman 
This is what the Vanity Fair article's name is. True crime, true faith, the serial killer, and the Texas woman who stopped him. And then the People article is, I became friends with a serial killer. A woman recounts a harrowing abduction by infamous serial killer. Because she does, in fact, become friends with him. So he actually pleads guilty to things and is sentenced to death. And while he's in prison, she visits him like 12 times. And they write each other letters. He calls the house and is like, what's up, Bart? And Bart's like, here's Margie. And I guess I got to put the kids to bed. Right. I'm so busy with the tepid water. He starts even talking to her mom and sister and stuff on the phone. And like, it's like a whole family. They're friends now. And he really feels like he found God. But I mean, fuck Kenneth Copeland. Right. I can't. The Kenneth Copeland of it. Right. Like, he is so, like, he's one of those televangelist it's like if you send me money god's gonna send it to you 45 times over yeah and people send their last dimes to him in hopes of this amazingness to happen to them and he has billions of dollars and these gorgeous houses and private jets refuses to fly with like quote common folk and he's just fucking terrible so i think it's really that that annoys the shit out of me in this story but in all reality, though, Margie Palm really does have some issues with, like, PTSD and all oh, of that. I can't even imagine. Because of being kidnapped and, you know, even just to hear that song, because he played it, like, over and over again. Oh, my god! And all of that. But Stephen Morin was eventually executed on March 13th of 1985 when he was 34 years old. And that's the story of how a Texas mom stopped a serial killer. Holy shit. Also, do you think it's uh, condescending that it's, like, a Texas mom, like, just a Texas woman? Like, you think it's, like, condescending that, like, she's a mom and she did it? Like, do you think that? I don't know. I think it is. And I said it and I was like, ugh. Yeah, I don't know. But I really do feel like with this story, because the kidnapping of Margie was so big, and there's a lot there with, like, literally laying hands on him to pray for him, and then he's, like, cured of being a murderer you know because there's so much to that story that becomes the story and not the potentially 30 people that he murdered because a lot of the stories are just of that and it's not all of these other people that passed away and, and to be frank even i didn't tell all the people that are even on wikipedia you know that you are like okay we know he did these seven or ten murders but I wanted to at least highlight some because I think that those people get lost in like the lights of this story. Yeah, like the, not grandiose, but, but like showmanship almost of the story with Margie because yeah. it's so, yeah, maybe grandiose is the word that it's like you forget about all the other things. Yeah. Because there are really some gruesome things because I really believe that those messages that he left on her pager was actually him torturing people because yeah. he kept some people for days. And I truly believe that she heard what she thought she heard. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to reiterate, please know we are not making light of the fact that Margie was kidnapped and what she was put through because she was kept for hours. But she did get to a point where she was so calm, she literally fell asleep. So she felt there were moments where she felt safe, but ultimately she was fucking kidnapped at gunpoint by a serial killer. So we're not trying to make light of that, but it's just 
like we said, the laying hands and the Kenneth Copeland of it that, and he's all of a sudden this healed person that I just, it's weird. We know you don't buy it. I don't buy it, no. And I think he honestly wasn't, like, saved at that point. You know, like, nothing. He just had a different fixation then. Yes. You know what I mean? Feel that, yeah. Because, again, I just feel like him being like, okay, now I've got to go do this and did it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But I will say, all right. If you say that you don't agree with me. Okay, so... You know how, like, sometimes we write things down to talk about? Yeah. If you say that you wrote something down about Kenneth Copeland, I'm going to shit my pants. No, but I wrote it about God. The face you just made. Because how fucking weird is this? Okay? And I was like, no, I won't get into all of that. But then your whole story, like, hinges on this point. Like, could this happen? Okay? But so when I made fun of you, like, did you find this from TikTok? This is what I found from TikTok because I went down a rabbit hole of like the moment where you knew God was real. And it's all these like, holy shit. Like, what was that? Was that an angel? Was that whatever? Because I love those little moments. And I said, like, is God real? Weird coincidences. And I was going to ask you if you believe in angels. I know we've talked about this before, but I was going to ask you, like, if you had a moment that you could think about. But it's that one time that we were going to the coast and I was like, I feel like I'm going to die tonight. And we were like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, you're so weird. But then we were hyper vigilant and there was that guy who came out of fucking nowhere. And, you know, we were like on edge about it and we left and like what we might not have done that. We might have just been like, oh, okay, that's random. But like, whatever, had I not said that. So like, what made me say that? What made me feel that way? Yeah. But anyway, so like this whole thing, I'm like going to ask you, but I decide, no, I'm not going to ask you. And then your whole fucking story comes to this point of this lady surviving a kidnapping by God. So with that, I say, I don't fucking know. <laughs> because what are the coincidences that I was going to say this, didn't say it, and then it's like, yeah, no, I have to say it. So with that, like, did someone need to hear that? Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Because like, I was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to say it. And then I'm like compelled to say it now. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I kind of got some chills going on. I'm just going to say. But Kenneth Copeland, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because people say you have free will. So if you have free will and they're are angels that intervene like that? Is that free will then? You know? I don't know. I don't freaking know. Oh, me either. And I honestly, you know, like we have our own things with religion and all the things that we don't know. But I just believe there's something out there that like either, I, I don't know, something out there has some kind of power. And if it shifts this way, this happens. If it shifts that way, that happens. But that's just fucking weird. Yeah. Well, hopefully whoever needed to hear whatever they needed to hear heard it. Now, what I will say... Don't pay for prayers. (laughs) Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, that. But what I will say is the fact that she was still friends with him after and like so much so and that brought her family into it and all that. It just, I thought this was going to go a different way too because, you know, there was that one story that you did 
And that lady, like the preacher was like really good friends with him. And it was like, he needs to be out. He's, you know, redeemed. And then he came and killed all of them or whatever. Well, he didn't. He's obviously not ever. Well, I mean, in this situation, he was never getting out ever. He was sentenced to death. Yeah. There's not that level of fear for them. But I mean, if they truly believed he was changed, I don't know how she continued a relationship with him. Because of the trauma that he put her through. Yeah. But, I mean, she worked through what she needed to work through and, you know. Yeah. I mean, I just know I couldn't do that. And so, like, that's the part that I'm just like. Because I feel like, well, because I was about to say, I mean, people keep contact with their abusers all the time in real life, you know, because of, like, family dynamics or whatever, where it's like, okay, I can move on from what happened to me for the sake of my family, but that wasn't the case with him. So she must have gotten something out of the relationship with him. Yeah. Spiritually or emotionally or closure for what he put her through or who knows. I mean, if she honestly was that religious, that that's what, like she wasn't trying to fake him out or anything. I think she really was. Oh, I think so too. It was, it was like, she was was, being completely genuine with him. Yes. And so I think, Seeing that, that like, oh, shit, he was actually going to go to Kenneth Copeland and stuff, too, like that she had changed him. And so I guess that is a powerful thing to think that, like, that's her moment of is God real? Could be. All right. Enough of this. Dazzle me with your story. Well, okay. This story is a little different than what I normally do. But it's a medical mystery. <gasps> Love these. You are a medical mystery. <laughs> yeah, not in textbooks, but whew. you probably will be one day. Okay, so this woman really is, though. And it's about a woman who's known as either the toxic lady or the toxic woman. But, you know, we're going to discuss her and call her by her name because she was much more than that. Gloria Ramirez was born January 11th, 1963, and she was in California. Now, she lived a normal life, you know, nothing that would have made her synonymous with the toxic lady. And I don't know, I guess because when I hear toxic, my first thing besides Britney Spears' song is just thinking about, like, the people on TikTok who are, like, berating retail workers or, you know, like, the toxic family members are, am I the asshole mm-hmm. things, you know, like that's the toxic I think of. And Gloria was not that. She had become a wife and then a mother of two. And then she ended up getting divorced after that. Now her kids, she has one daughter named Evelyn and a son named Angel Jr. Obviously after his father, who was her then husband. Now, even though Gloria's marriage didn't last, she didn't give up on love, and she ended up finding the love of her life, Johnny Estrada, and he became her boyfriend. So Gloria, Johnny, and Gloria's two kids lived together in Riverside, California. And unfortunately, we all know that no one's safe when it comes to the evilness of cancer and that cancer fucking sucks and it's terrible and if it was a person i would hope it had nonstop diarrhea and one ply fucking toilet paper it's a very specific wish because <laughs> that really hurts me but anyway so two weeks before gloria's 31st birthday she was diagnosed with cervical cancer and this was 
devastating for her and her family. But then it got worse because just a month later, she learned that the cancer had spread throughout her body. Now, they said it wasn't fatal, but, you know, they were going to have to treat it. However, Gloria was unemployed at the time, and she really didn't have insurance. But her sister Maggie believes that Gloria had just started chemotherapy, like, the week prior to what I'm about to talk about. And she said it was either chemotherapy or radiation. But Gloria really hadn't told anyone yet. Okay, so we're here talking about that, because literally last night, Toilet Thoughts by Carrie, I was sitting there thinking, okay... If I got cancer and had to lose my job because I couldn't, you know, couldn't go, couldn't do my job, and I lost my insurance because I lost my job, what would I do? Because there would be no qualifying event for me to get on Colby's insurance because it has to either be enrollment or a qualifying event like a birth of a child, a marriage, a divorce, something like that to change your enrollment. And I was like, wait, what do people do? I was literally thinking about that last night. Shit, I don't know. I don't fucking understand insurance. Who does? People in insurance don't understand insurance. Mm -mm. Well, Gloria really hadn't told anyone about like the chemo or the radiation or anything because she was the type of person who didn't want to burden other people with her, you know, quote, problems. But obviously her boyfriend, Johnny, would have known this, but I don't think he's ever said one way or... Another, if she had chemo or radiation or anything like that, he's never like confirmed nor denied. But he was very diligent about keeping an eye on Gloria. So the night of February 19th, 1994, around 8 p.m., Johnny called 911 and he told them that his girlfriend was breathing weird. And she kind of just wasn't making sense. She had a rapid heartbeat, you know, and it was not even just rapid, but it was irregular. And earlier that week, she had been vomiting and stuff. But if she was undergoing that treatment, that would be something like that's seen as normal. Right. But anyway, she was immediately rushed by ambulance to Riverside General Hospital. And again, she really wasn't able to answer any questions because she was just talking incoherently. And again, she had like abnormal breathing and her pulse was, you know, racing, all of these things. And so the medical team had started an IV, had put her on oxygen, but nothing seemed to be helping her symptoms. Now at the hospital, they pumped Gloria full of some sedatives to try to relax her and see if that would help. But she wasn't responding well at all. So they rushed her into a room and they ended up having to do the word that I cannot fucking say, but defibrillate her. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. It was a struggle, but I got there. I was going to say, you got it. But so when they opened her shirt to like put the paddles on her, the medical team noticed that her skin seemed oily and kind of had a sheen to it. And also there was like some kind of garlic smell coming from her mouth. Now, there was one person who was obviously fucking Carrie in this team and was like, hmm, it's a fruity garlic smell. Like, you know how you will be. Oh, no, I know. But I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, arsenic smells like almonds, right? (laughs) Oh, because how you did that, I was like, no, 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 that would be you. Oh, 1000%. But I'm trying to think of what smells like that. Yeah, because everyone's like, oh, this smells garlicky. And Carrie's like, hmm. 
with a fruity note, a floral note, if you will. <laughs> You're not wrong. So anyway, they had noted these things, but then also people have different hygiene routines. Right. And, you know, so Some people like, take garlic tablets. Yeah. And so, I mean, okay, like, you don't really think anything about it because I'm sure in the ER they've seen all different types of people, you know? But then a nurse, her name was Susan Kane, she had to draw some blood. And when she's drawing it from Gloria's arm, she said she smelled like ammonia coming from the vial that she had just filled. Then Susan handed the vial to a medical resident. Her name is Julie Gorchinsky, and she also smelled that smell and said, like, something's in the blood. And she looked, and it was like little particles or crystals floating around in the vial. But before anyone could really say anything, Nurse Susan fainted. So they had to take her out of the room, tend to her, and then Julie started to complain that she was feeling lightheaded, very nauseated. And so they were like, hey, just go sit at the nurse's station, like, get your bearings, you know, whatevs. So she, like, went over there, but... She just wasn't herself. And one of her coworkers was like, are you okay? And before she could do anything, she just fainted. What the hell was in this blood that they touched? Right. Well, then there was a respiratory therapist, Maureen Welch, who had been in the room with Gloria. And she fainted as well. And she even said, like, when she woke up, like, she just, nothing seemed right. Like, her, like, limbs weren't working. And... Julie had that feeling, too. So the hospital hurriedly told all of the staff, all of the ER patients, like, we have to go to the parking lot. Like, we don't know what's fucking going on, but, like, something, like, they're dropping, like, flies in here. Like, and so they took everyone. Could you imagine coming in with, like, a broken arm, and they're like, we have to go out, and you're like, put my arm, and you're like, but people are fainting. Yeah, and it's like, we don't know what's going on. And I guess they couldn't, like, wheel Gloria back through the ER because that would expose people. And Mm -hmm. so, like, they couldn't just, like, put her out in the thing. And then also, like, out in the air, who knows? I don't know. But only, like, a skeleton crew remained to work on Gloria. So after an hour of CPR... Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead at 8.50 p.m. Now, a total of 23 people who were around Gloria in the ER became ill, but there's like five or six individuals who were hospitalized, and their symptoms were shortness of breath, nausea, and again, some even had the temporary paralysis. But okay, back to Gloria. The hospital wasn't taking any chances, so... The next people who were to come in the room had to dress in, like, hazmat suits. And, you know, they came and inspected the room because they're like, what's going on? Is there something in the room, you know? And they removed Gloria from the room. They put her in two sealed body bags and then in an aluminum casket. So it was, like, airtight. And then also the people who conducted her autopsy were in hazmat suits because, you know, they can't take any chances. Now, they ended up conducting three different autopsies. The first was a week after her death, then a month later, and then right before she was buried. They were looking for an explanation of what happened. 
Now, the only thing they could really account for was that there was, I don't know how to pronounce this, but Tigan, T-I-G-A-N, in her system, which was used to treat nausea. But it'll break down in the body, and what it breaks down to is related to ammonia. So, like, that could have been the reason why her blood smelled like that. But the other than that that was in her body was Tylenol, lidocaine, and codeine. Like, nothing toxic. And also in that room, they said like after they took the vial of blood from her and that ammonia smell was there, it kind of filled the room after that. Now, when they did the toxicology report, they did find that Gloria had a rather large amount of dimethyl sulfone, I think is how you say it, in her blood and even in her tissue. Now, that is something that naturally occurs in our body. Who knew? But it breaks down in our body in like a matter of three days. So the fact that there was a large amount still found in her, like something wasn't right, but it was no clear indication of what had happened, what that even really meant. Now, finally, on April 12th, 1994, the day after Carrie's birthday, the officials had conducted their testing and ruled Gloria's death was from heart failure or kidney failure. And so it was like, we don't know which one came first, but it was, they were both caused from her cervical cancer. So it was like, totally natural causes. Like, you know, she had cervical cancer and her body just gave out. And now by this time, everyone had dubbed Gloria Ramirez the toxic lady, or again, the toxic woman. But now, because of this media attention, everyone's interested in what went down in Riverside General Hospital. Now, Maggie, Gloria's sister, was like, nah, you took that long to come up with that answer? Like, natural causes after basically three autopsies? I don't think so. And she said that they were covering up something. And so she blamed the hospital and said it was like, you know, deplorable conditions. And that's why Gloria died. Like, okay, well, you're saying this toxic gas filled the room. What if it was from a vent in your hospital? Like, why are you saying it came from my sister when you cannot say what it came from of her? But it wasn't there until she was. So, again, they're just like, she had cancer. Yes, she had been admitted to the ER. But then all of these people in the room get sick with her like, no, something was up. And now here's the thing. Riverside General had been cited previously for violations. So this wasn't like unplausible. They had had a gas leak. They had also had like, yeah, like a sewer leak. And so that had come up through the vents. They had like unsanitary conditions and something. So it wasn't unheard of. But it also, you know, who knows? However, Gloria's family did file a lawsuit with the hospital. So there was an investigation that, of course, was going to happen. And, you know, everyone had their own opinion and stuff. Well, the outcome of this first investigation said it was basically too much stress from the working conditions. And because most of the people of those 23 people were females and some hadn't even ate their dinner yet because they had like skipped a meal. Basically, they suffered from mass hysteria. What? Yeah. 
basically it was like, oh, you're female? Work is hard. Uh-huh. Yeah, working in ER or a hospital is hard because it's understaffed. And I mean, do you want me to continue to go on of all the problems in a hospital? But understaffed, patient ratios are shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're working hard. Yeah. But to say it's mass hysteria. And also in these people, because like Julie, the resident, she was like, um, I have receipts. She was in the fucking ICU for two weeks after this with breathing problems. And she had developed hepatitis. And she also had something called a vascular necrosis in her knees. So it was also known as a bone infarction. And basically, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like where the bone tissue dies because there's no blood flow. Yeah, you're right. Yay! Okay, I actually researched. I got hung up on the word infarction, so, you know. But I don't, well, what do I know? I'm not about to try to be Anne-Marie from Real Housewives right now, but I don't, how would they be related? Who knows? Because it's usually like of like the shoulders or the hips or something. And that could even be related to like diseases like Ehlers-Danlos and like all of that. So what do I know? Well, and they said that she was like an avid surfer and... And it can happen to young people, the vascular necrosis. But they're saying all of a sudden, after this, you know, she got lightheaded. She had all of these symptoms that everyone else did. And then it affected her more, obviously. But she's like, you don't tell me that I have mass hysteria because before this, clean bill of health. Right. And she's in the medical field. She's not just, I don't know. It's just like, don't say we're the fucking Salem witches over here. And you know what I mean? Like, just because we're female and we work a stressful job and we had this weird case. Well, and that she probably was tired. Do you know they had to make a law limiting residents hours to 80 hours a week? Yeah. I think you did. You do the story on. Uh-uh. Because people were like falling asleep and stuff. 80 hours a week is the max they can work now. 80 hours a week. That's wild. So if they're limiting it to 80 hours a week, think of how many hours a week they were working. Yeah. And how fucking dangerous that was. Yeah. Well, the thing is about this investigation, people were like, well, Julie and Gloria's family had separate lawsuits against the hospital. And so they were like, again, this is not, this is all um, allegedly that they feel that the hospital was like, find us not at fault. And so what they could find was mass hysteria. Right. But who did that investigation? That I'm not real sure of, but like also people can be bought. So I don't know, you know, like, I don't know. But no one was really happy with that. So they urged the coroner's office to again investigate. Now, this time, the Riverside Coroner's Office contacted the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. So they said, all right, this is what we found. Gloria was using DMSO, or dimethyl sulfane, and she had probably been covering head to toe in it. And what she could have been using this for was like a natural way to cure her cancer, or it was also thought to help with pain and anxiety. And this is something that athletes would like relieve their muscles with after 
a hard training day, all the things. But then there were studies that were conducted and it was like DMSO, not what you think. So like it could ruin your eyesight. It can do all the things. So like people were like, oh, let's not use that anymore. So when the study came out, you know, so I don't know if it was like a lotion before, but it wasn't that anymore. You know, they were like, pull it from the shelves, but it was still sold in stores as a degreaser in (gasps) hardware stores. So they were like, well, this could account for the greasy sheen on her body. And also it's supposed to like taste like garlic. So that could be the garlic smell coming out of her body. And here's the thing too. It wasn't just that she was covering her body in this because yes, that would like maybe make her have a higher like amount of this, but it's a series of unfortunate events that happened. Johnny, the boyfriend, had said Gloria had been dealing with like a urinary tract blockage. One person said like an infection, but I think the blockage is something different. Like, you know, I don't know. But others, you know, had said there was some kidney failure going on. So just going off of that information, they were like, okay, because of the blockage, Like her body couldn't get rid of that DMSO. Mm -hmm. And so it stayed in her system and had that buildup of it. But then when she got in the ambulance and they hooked her up to oxygen, that like chemical reaction turned the DMSO to DMSO2. Okay. So then when they drew her blood and, you know, there were little particles in her blood. Well, that's because DMSO2 crystallizes in the bloodstream at room temperature. So then when they used the defibrillator on her, that shocked the DMSO2 into DMSO4, which is dimethyl sulfate, and that's gas. But I really feel like, you know, those like domino effect things. So like when they like hit the they do the coin and it hits the dominoes and like it goes all the way down. Then like, yeah, you, like turns around, do all the things. I mean, I love those on TikTok and everything, but that's what I feel like this was. Yeah. Like, okay, so if she hadn't used that, but then she did this and like they unknowingly did, you know, all the things to take care of her, but yet it could have wrecked her body more. And unleashed all the things on them themselves. Right. But so they're saying this is why the hospital staff got sick because those vapors can cause convulsion, paralysis, can harm the lungs, the mouth, the eyes, and also cause delirium. So you're listening to this and it all sounds fucking real. Like, sounds legit to me. But here's the thing. The lab was never able to replicate this incident. No matter how many tests they did, never had this happen, okay? And then they were like, yeah, this is all hypothetical. Like, we believe this is what happened, but nothing's formalized. Like, no legit, like, this is what we found, X, Y, Z. That's not what they said. This is what could have happened. So even with that, it's like, okay, well, so it sounds plausible, but then you couldn't recreate it. And, like, why couldn't you recreate it if it was that much of a like a chemical reaction. But the hospital's also in cover your ass mode, so there's no fucking telling. Right. So now all of Gloria's family also said she didn't use DMSO. Like, I don't know where you got that from. And they're like, well, 
But we're saying that's what could have caused this. And they're saying, yeah, but she didn't use that. And they're saying, well, that's what could have caused this. Like, it's at a stalemate of who knows what, you know, and sadly, Gloria is dead. Well, this is going to sound terrible, but the family, some of the people didn't even know she had cancer, though. So how could they actually know? They knew she had cancer, but maybe not going undergoing treatment. Okay. So you didn't know what treatment she was doing. So how do you know she didn't use DS-45, WD-40? <laughs> yeah. But also, I don't know, because they said family, and I don't know if that includes Johnny. But that's what I'm saying, though. Like, if you didn't know that she was undergoing treatment, there's no way that you could have known for sure if she was or wasn't using this. Yeah, for sure. But again, I don't know if that included Johnny or not. Yeah, but Johnny also never said, so. Yeah, so I, again, I don't know. So Gloria's family hired their own pathologist to examine Gloria's body. However, the pathologist really couldn't determine the cause of death because some weird shit had happened. Oh, God. And I don't really know. You tell me because you're going to be like, no, Donna, this is normal. But it's literally shit. So some of her body's internal organs had been cross-contaminated with fecal matter. In my head, it was like, Someone had not washed their hands and did something to her or something? Not But is it just like in her body, like the bile or fecal matter? Like That I can't, I don't know. Okay. But it could be even, it was cross-contaminated, like they put her, you know how they weigh all the shit? They could have put her rectum in the thing and it had fecal matter on it. And then they put the lungs on the thing, you know? So okay. it could have been something like something wasn't cleaned. I don't, but it also could have been. It was leaking somewhere in her abdomen. That I don't fucking know. That's beyond my pay grade. I was just like, ew. But then her body had really just decomposed by that time. Now, I wonder if it's because of whatever was going on in her body. Because, like, had they not kept her in a freezer and stuff while they're doing this? I feel like if they're, like, continuing to do autopsies and stuff, like, they would have tried to keep her. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. But then, like, her heart was missing, the syringe. Missing? Yeah, missing, they said. Now, the syringe that was used to draw Gloria's blood had been in custody for testing because, obviously, they're like, this smelled like ammonia, you know? Like, and everyone was like, yeah, it smelled like ammonia. But then when the independent study was going on, it couldn't be found. So it was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, there were no definite answers because important pieces were missing or contaminated. But then also it could be just like, well, like something was going on with her body and that's why it decomposed more. And, you know, like, who knows? But then there's one more theory. And that's, I'm going to probably butcher this, methylamine. Sounds right to me. Methylamine? I don't know. Methylamine. Look, you're the pronouncer over here. Oh, wow. But okay, so it's produced in huge quantities as a cleaning agent, but also could be known for cooking meth Mm. or some biological terrorism shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, now we just got on the NSA's list. Thanks, Donna. (laughs) Well, I didn't say it correctly. So they're like, their little bots go, oh, that's not the right word. Never mind. (laughs) They're clear. But so, okay, the New Times L.A., They ran a story about this, and because, again, the toxic lady was all the news, especially in California. Also, her poor fucking family, her sister just, 
her being called that, like that is mm-hmm. that's gross. Her yeah. poor family. So the Times got a tip and they had said, like, look, this is documented that Riverside County was one of the largest methamphetamine like distribution sites and all of that. And that they believed that Riverside hospital workers had been smuggling out methylamine or methylamine or whatever it's called to sell to people who cook meth. Oh my God. And like they said for hospitals and stuff, again, it comes in the big disinfectant cleaning solution and stuff. So it's like to sterilize surgical instruments mm-hmm. and all of that. So they said that how some of those hospital workers, and now again, this was a tip. So I don't know. Allegedly. Right. But that the hospital workers would use IV bags to capture and then store the methalamine. God, why don't I know drugs? <laughs> but like, you know, IV bags sealed, safe to handle. Because if you had that, it's just, it's not like bleach, but like, you know how like, mm-hmm. you're like, wear gloves around bleach. Don't mm-hmm. do that. They're not just going to be like, oh, let me carry that underneath my, like in my bra, you yeah. know? So it's just like, that would be safe to handle and no one's going to notice that, you yeah. know? Like, oh, Carrie's walking to this room with the IV bag. Cool. I mean, not you at your work, but no, you know I what know I mean. what you're saying. Although it would be very weird if I was because I'm a therapist. That's what I'm saying. That would draw a red flag. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But honestly, like if no one that was working saw you, like if some other person just saw you, I was like, oh, scrubs, IV bag, cool. You yeah. know, like you don't think about it. So this whole thing hinges on the IV bag was loaded, about to be smuggled out. And then somehow I feel like from another series of unfortunate events like someone was going to smuggle it out i was like oh fuck someone's coming let me just put it over here yeah and then it got used for gloria and so if that's it because like that chemical agent turns to gas when it's exposed to oxygen and so they were saying that would be the reason why it wasn't like found in the toxicology testing and like why everyone was affected like the 23 people had breathed that in. But like whatever theory you believe or if you're still on the fence about everything, the thing is Gloria lost her life at only 31 years old. And on April 20th, 1994, Gloria was laid to rest at Olivewood Memorial Park in Riverside, California. And her cause of death is still truly unknown. Donna, I really was hoping that you were going to give me some kind of Some closure. closure. Yeah. But like, so all of them sound plausible. Yeah. I mean, the meth thing, you're like, no. But then it's like, I mean, if you think about even just like that killer nurse or whatever who would like puncture the hole in the IV bag or whatever he did. I can't remember what it was. Like, maybe he put something in the syringe and like mm-hmm. injected it. You remember mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Like. You would never think, oh, someone's killing patients by doing this because they know that, like, it wouldn't leak out of the IV bag because the needle was too small and blah, 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 blah. That happened. You know, there's a fucking Hulu documentary, a Netflix documentary about it. Like, that fucking happened. So you never fucking know 
what's going on. But also, it's just like, well, I mean, hospitals are sometimes like the cleanest and the grossest place, you know, like you don't want to just have an infection open because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. It's so hard. And then it's just like, well, that really does sound plausible about the DMSO. But there's a lot like there's literally no solid proof. Because even if you said, okay, she could have been using it by herself because, hey, if you've ever had someone who is sick, they're going to do whatever they can. Like my sister drank ginger, like pure ginger, like ground up in like water and something else in there. And that was her like cancer elixir. Now I will say she did seem better when she was doing it. And then it was like, well, it's still spreading, so I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, like you just try different things to, you know, whatever. You're hoping for something, especially if you don't have the insurance to really go through all the medical things you need to do. And if you don't have that opportunity, you're going to do whatever you can. So even if she was using DMSO, she was doing it to try to save herself, you know? for sure. And if she did use that, There's no blame or shame or anything like that if that is what she used. Right. But like how they could say that, and it's just like anything. If someone who you think is smart because they work in a lab or they have another title that you're like, whoa, like they're a rocket scientist and they say that the fucking earth is flat, they could probably tell me this. And I'm like, No, no, no. By the time they get finished, I'm like, is it? Yeah. Like, they would probably know. You know what I mean? So, like, how they're telling us this makes sense to me. Okay, that combined with that equals that. Mm -hmm. Words I can't say. Cool. Like, periodic table. There you go. But they could not recreate it. And, like, they tried it in, like, mice and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well, that's not a human. However, they test on mice for right. other things that do work, you know, not that they should test on mice. I'm just not, you know what I mean? But like, but even how you said when they did this, it became the blah, 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 two became the blah, 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 four. But like, even just adding an extra oxygen to, okay, H2O is water, H2O2 becomes hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. So just adding an extra oxygen completely changes that. So like you can see how just adding the extra whatever it was completely changes the composition of that drug or whatever. So it's like you can see how that could be so toxic. I mean, you think you're getting oxygen and then you get fucking hydrogen peroxide. Right. Now, one person had said like it was some doctor had said like the oxygen that she was given wouldn't have turned that into that. Like, they're basically just saying, like, oxygen is oxygen, but there were different things. Again, I don't fucking know. It's too smart for me. But, you know, one saying, yes, this would work. And then another doctor saying, no, it wouldn't work. And I'm like, I don't know, but I feel sorry for Gloria and her whole fucking family. Yeah. And her kids. And like you said, like, she's not known as Gloria Ramirez. Yeah. And she was just 31 years old, you That's know? That's so young. And I feel like it kind of was with my sister, like how Lori went to the ER because her back hurt. And she came home and she said, they told me that I need to go to an oncologist. And I was like, 
And I know they can, but in my head, I was so mad. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I was like, an ER doctor can't tell you you have cancer. Like, what the fuck? Like, no, we're going and, like, they're going to say, oh, lose weight. You know what I mean? Because that's, like, everything, you know? And then it was like, no, you have stage four. That's why your back hurt because it has spread everywhere. And I feel like that's how it was with Gloria. Like, she went in and instead of just having cervical cancer, it was like, this is treatable. And then the next time it was like, now it's metastasized. I can't say that fucking word either. Look, one job I can never do is healthcare, okay? I can't say any of the fucking words. Except for whatever that shit was I put on my face last week. You just whipped that out of your pocket willy-nilly. Nolan, yes. Yes. That you know and can say. Maybe skincare. Like, dermatologist, I might could do. Well, I couldn't do because I don't want to touch people. Yeah, that. But I can know those words. But yeah, I don't know. This is just like, what do you think happened? Couldn't even begin to guess. Because I don't fucking know. But I know that it was not mass hysteria. No, absolutely not. And how fucking condescending. Yes. That just... it. Oh, it just makes me so fucking mad to even have put that out there. Yeah, in 1874, they would have, but it's 1994, you dimwit. Your story was, I was really wanting to answer, too. I mean, obviously, so does her family and her everybody. But you remember that show? Like, it was, there's, I think it was on, like, TLC. It was, like, all these medical mysteries, and it was these families would have gone years trying to get a diagnosis of different things and then they would finally get it at the end yeah and i remember thinking watching that show like god these people are living years without a diagnosis going to doctor's appointments getting tests and all this stuff and they don't know what's going on and like how do they do it but you did it with your skin yeah yeah still unknown yeah (laughs) i mean and i did it too when we were trying to figure out that i had that the common variable immune deficiency. It's like, <laughs> well, who the fuck has that? Like, I literally, one of the last times I went to the doctor to get my psych meds, he goes, so I see you have this right here. And he pointed to the computer and it was my CVID. And he goes, tell me about that. And I said, <laughs> well, I have it. He said, yeah, but tell me how you got that diagnosis. Because <laughs> it says common, but it ain't common. Right. But you know what's so interesting? Two people that I used to work with in Texas have it. Isn't that God, so yeah. weird? Two people. See, again, it's like, well, was something there? Like, you know, because I've been a, I was a sickly my whole life. You were a sickly. <laughs> I mean, you were. It's just weird how, like, you go without a diagnosis and then something happens and you're like, oh, so that's what's been wrong this whole fucking time? Mm-hmm. That's why my elbows hurt all the time? <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, oh! that's why I get the flu and strep throat every single year. Yeah. And there's people who say they've never had strep throat in their life. Like, what are you, God's favorite? Like, what the fuck? You've never had strep throat in your life? How's that even possible? Who are you, Ken Copeland? <laughs> he blows COVID away. <laughs> well, hopefully we didn't pitch all off this episode because we said lots of things. But you know what? I stand by how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doubling down. Just call me Anne-Marie from Real Housewives. Oh, But for real, thank y'all so much for listening. And you know what? Supporting us and loving each other for people who who may or may not have differing opinions than you. And if there happens to be a chat about this online, well, don't be a dick. And uh, be sweet and listen to other people's opinions and don't try to change it because you're not going to. Yeah, everyone can be right and everyone can be wrong. Yes. And thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.